do things stand now? This is so unusual. You and I have covered the White House for years. I can't even fathom anything like this having been found before in the West Wing. And I go back to the 70s at the White House. So this is pretty, pretty wild. It's absolutely extraordinary, Andrea. Oh, yeah. So extraordinary. They're talking about cocaine at the White House. It's uh, not that extraordinary. A crack addict lives there. Sorry. And it's not new. Oh, by the way, uh, the White House, the White House, does White House and cocaine go together? White House? Well, no, of course not. But there have been drugs at the White House many, many times. Who remembers Willie Nelson bragging about smoking weed on the roof? Yes, he did. Who remembers the chief of staff to, I think, Jimmy Carter. His name was Hamilton Jordan, and he got in big trouble for allegedly snorting coke at Studio 54, very hot disco back in the day. Barack Obama, the first president we ever had who admitted to using cocaine as a young man. And that brings us to Hunter, Hunter Biden. All right. So Hunter did say in his own book, let's take a look at it, that he had some sort of mystical power to find. I, mean, I use my superpower finding crack anytime, anywhere. I had the ability to find crack in any town at any time, no matter how unfamiliar the terrain. Now, unfortunately, this is not that long ago for Hunter. And I don't believe the White House is any place for a guy like this. Probably was his cocaine. We may never know for sure. But some people noticed at the 4th of July celebration that he seemed to be, uh, oh, agitated, shall we say? He's kind of sweaty and uh, a little bit manic. And then there was this maneuver. Some people familiar with the cocaine, um, I don't know, trade or the habits thereof, thought they saw him possibly consuming a little bit of whatever. Now, we don't know. Maybe he is just brushing his hair. But he had a long-time problem, and we have every reason, quite frankly, look, I hope he's over this stuff. But they'll tell you that relapsing is sometimes part of recovery. Joe doesn't seem to understand that. He thinks, you know, it's one and done. You fix it for life. It's not that way. My son, like a lot of people, like a lot of people we know at home, had a drug problem. He's overtaken it. He's, he's, he's fixed it. He's worked on it. And I'm proud of him. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily work that way. I hope it does, but relapse and you fixed it, one and done. I hope so, but I know this, putting Hunter in the limelight like he is, like you've put him in, Joe, it's not good for Hunter, um, no matter what, whether he has a substance addiction issue or not. He shouldn't be hanging around. Everybody knows this is not appropriate for somebody his age either. He's acting like he's some sort of rock star, like he got elected to something. How about in Ireland? He's acted like he was the Prince of Wales, meeting people, signing autographs. Again, in my opinion, uh, this is not good for Hunter. And I've read over the years that the children of presidents, even when they're not dealing with a drug addiction, well, there are some unique stressors, right? The Ford children talked about that. You know, uh, you're in the White House, you're in the center of the universe, and then one day you're not. Bill Clinton, uh, her name, what was her name again? Chelsea. Uh, I don't know, but I, I imagine she had some ups and downs. I know this, Curtis Roosevelt, the grandson of FDR, wrote a book about this. He was a very young kid, a grandson of the president's, and he hung around the White House all the time. He wrote a book about this, uh, growing up in the White House and what it could do to you. Too close to the sun, growing up in the shadow of 
Franklin and Eleanor, remember Prometheus got too close to the sun? Let's go to the first quote here. I can still clearly recall my grandmother's meaningful glances when I became too enthralled with some White House ceremony. Such attention was for the president, I was reminded. Uh, let's see. Intoxicated by the exhilarating environments of Washington and Hyde Park, I created a dream world that protected me and became a form of addiction. I found it easier to inhabit this fantasy world than to develop and nurture my own strengths and talents in the real one. Wow. Kind of makes sense, right? Everyone's waiting on your hand and foot and, you know, maybe Hunter can't be saved, but maybe his child, Bo, can, the president's seventh grandchild. All right. Now this. I had a couple of days off and it was marvelous. And uh, the whole week actually feels kind of like that week between Christmas and New Year's. Remember, I don't know. It seems like a lot of people are on vacation right now. And some of the things I've been doing, hanging around with my daughter and my wife. Here she is in a puddle. You know, when you're uh, one, a puddle can be greater than the best roller coaster in the world. So that was great. Uh, let's see. My wife and I went to a party uh, that was uh, very, very elegant. Both of us, I think. I saw Sound of Freedom, a very important film that you should see. I'll have more on that in the next block. I also read a book called Digital Minimalism, how to basically get away from all these apps and devices that are taking over our lives. I'm not quite done with it, and it's very intriguing. I like this stuff a lot. I barely followed the news, barely. Glanced at it every now and then. I did hear about that horrible shooting in Philadelphia. Five people were killed, two little babies injured. Now, there is a suspect in custody, Kimbrati Carriker. Uh, I read that this individual is a Black Lives Matter activist or at least sympathizer and, well, is non-binary and likes to dress up in women's clothes. All right. All over the place. Uh, and again, I just glanced at the news over the weekend, glanced at it barely. So I was back to work today and I got to follow the fake news, see what they're saying. Wow. They really do live in a in a different reality. So, George Sleese. What have we learned from this morning's arraignment, if anything, about the suspect? We knew very little about him, except that he was armed and, and wearing battle gear. Uh, that's what really got my attention. Wait a second. We know very little about him. I know he likes to wear bras. I know what he was posting on uh, on Facebook about about white people and Black Lives Matter. I mean, I, I, I was in the bathtub when I found that out. She is in MSNBC World News headquarters. Surely the reporter knows what's going on, right? Wrong. Yeah, that's right. Good morning, Andrea. The suspect appearing in court via closed-circuit television for the first time. We got our good look at him. Authorities just releasing the name Kim Brady character along with a mugshot. Okay, where's the mugshot? You're going to show us the mugshot, right? And you're right. We didn't know a whole lot about this suspect other than what police had said, that this individual was wearing a ski mask with a tactical vest, had an AR-style rifle, a handgun, and seemingly targeted people at random in this southwest Philadelphia neighborhood, killing five. That now part of the charges this suspect faces. Eleven total offenses with multiple counts in each, everything ranging from those murder charges to aggravated assault to carrying weapons without a permit. 
Without a permit. They're going to get them without having a permit. Wow. Uh, you see how they're kind of rushing through all this. Why are they doing it? He actually said the, the suspect's name like that. Uh, what's happening here? Next, please. Jim, do we know anything about a motive? Do they have any connection to this neighborhood? Excuse me, I'm not George, George rather. Start. Yeah. Right, Andrea. We are starting to get a better picture of where this suspect resided. It appears that the suspect did live in this neighborhood. So we're going to have to learn a little bit more, dig a little bit more through the social media to see if there were any clues or indications. Authorities yesterday saying this attack did appear to be premeditated, considering uh, the police scanner, the tactical gear and the weapons that were used. But they still have no motive. They will be out there again asking anyone with information to come forward to provide some context as to why this shooting may have occurred, Andrea. Thank you so much, George Solis and Jim Cavanaugh. To you now. <laughs> I almost felt like calling the police myself. If you guys are really this stumped, I mean, I just watched the news. Apparently, you don't know anything, according to MSNBC. This was this morning. <laughs> I, mean, I tell you again, I'm sorry, but the picture, the motivation, the, 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 the issues with gender. Sorry, but it's, it's part of the story. Was it the driving factor? I guess we don't know yet, but I think it's relevant. New York Post was able to write all this stuff up. Why can't you guys? Why wouldn't you? I'll tell you, because what do they like over there at MSNBC and the fake news in general? Narrative. Narrative. You always hear them talking about narrative, right? And what is a narrative? A way of presenting or understanding a situation or series of events that reflects and promotes a particular point of view or set of values. Wow, that's they love narrative. They're always talking about narrative. And what are the set of values? What's the point of view they're trying to promote? The preferred narrative? Okay, this is it right here. Everything has got to be presented in a way that hurts Trump and helps and protects Joe Biden. So when you have a, uh, well, a maniac on the loose in Philadelphia who killed children, allegedly, and adults, and is a cross-dresser and is a Black Lives Matter activist. Oh, boy. You have to minimize all that. You have to put that away because Donald Trump has been kind of warning us about some of that stuff. Makes sense? Makes sense, actually. does. Uh, this also makes sense. There was bad news for the Biden administration on Friday, and it came out on Friday for a reason, to minimize the bad news. It was an after-action report about our catastrophic loss in Afghanistan, a report put out by the State Department a year in, uh, and a half in the making. And, well, they got away with it. On a Friday, barely anybody noticed it, and barely anybody could comment on Joe Biden's totally bizarre, totally inappropriate reaction when asked about the horrible mistakes made by his administration. Mr. President, you admit the failure in Afghanistan? Mistakes. There was a there was a report on Afghanistan withdrawal saying there was failure, mistakes. Do you admit there was mistakes during the withdrawal and before? No, no. All the evidence is coming back there. Remember what I said about Afghanistan? I said Al Qaeda would not be there. I said it wouldn't be there. I said we'd get help from the Taliban. What's happening now? What's going on? Read your press. I was right. Thanks. One of the strangest things ever uttered by a president. I was right. He was wrong every step of the way about everything. And the Taliban are now running Afghanistan and Al Qaeda is thriving. 
So on my show, I did eight minutes of this on on Friday. It could not be ignored, at least by me. A good chunk of the dominant establishment media, however, chose to blow it off. Nothing to see here. I was pretty amazed that one of the Sunday shows uh, also because, well, they've been focusing on international affairs more than others, and no mention whatsoever of the State Department report that totally destroys the leadership of, of Anthony Blinken. And these people, I mean, again, they pride themselves on being, you know, it's world news tonight over there, right? We cover the world, uh, and they got a war correspondent. I was there six times. I, I do know I was there six times in, in 2010. So pretty much every other month I would go over to Afghanistan. You've been to Iraq, what, 20 times? I think like probably it's, I, I, I was thinking about that last night. I think it's probably closer to 30. I definitely lost track. You go everywhere and you, you're getting ready to go where again? I'm getting ready to go back into the war zone, into Iraq. Into Iraq. Uh, and, How many times have you gone in? Um, dozens. That's dozens. Right, yeah. All right, good for her. Uh, dozens of trips, usually pretty, you know, she's not going there for a month, all right? Anyway, uh, this Sunday, where is she? She's somewhere else, and uh, yeah, Ukraine. The big after-action report comes out about Afghanistan, that place she said she told us she went 30 times. Why no follow-up? Why no follow-up? We lost a war 20 years later. Aren't you remotely curious about all the mistakes that Joe Biden made? Uh, no, they, they aren't. Now, by the way, sometimes they'll say, well, you ignore the bad news stories about Trump. That's actually not true. Uh, granted, I am a partisan. I'm kind of supporting Trump. I like him. I'm very conspicuous about that. Do you remember Mary Trump, the niece of Donald Trump, who came out with that very nasty book uh, about her uh, uncle? All kinds of lies in it. Well, I didn't ignore it. I read the book and then I debunked it. Right? I did two nights, three nights in a row. Uh, so I don't ignore bad news. I confront it. All right. I do. And they just pretend it didn't happen. Got to go back to Philadelphia for a moment. They had this crazy, totally woke D.A. by the name of Larry Krasner. He's completely pro-criminal, anti-cop. Uh, a very strange guy and a total and complete liar. I mean, here's proof. Every time there's a shooting, he just says it's MAGA's fault. It's 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 Trump's fault. He's that simplistic and and that biased. There is absolutely no correlation between being progressive or traditional and the rate of crime. These states in the United States that have a rate of homicide that is 40 percent higher are MAGA states. They are Trump states. I'll say it again. The rate of homicide in Trump states as compared to Biden states, take all 50 of them, is 40 percent You know higher. Republicans say the opposite. It's all the blue the Republicans lie. I mean, let's just get down to it. Republicans lie. That is what they do. Eight of not the ten cities with not, not, well, okay, that's right. Not all of them do, but the MAGA ones do. Eight out of ten of the most violent cities are Trump cities. Like, we got to get real about this. Facts matter. Trump cities. There's almost no such thing as a Trump city. These are all. Let me do the state thing first. All right. So, for instance, he'll say that, well, I guess when he said this, Michigan was a was a red state, but Detroit is a blue city. See what I mean? OK. Yeah, totally. It goes like this across the board. All these violent cities, Tennessee, that's a red state. And Memphis is definitely a blue county. Uh, it goes on and on like this. St. Louis, Kansas City, all right, red. But look at them. They're, they're blue in a sea of red. Cleveland, Ohio, 
Yeah, you get it, right? You see what's happening here. And then you can look at the cities in general. He said mega cities. There are no mega cities. I looked it up. All these cities were won actually by um, the Democrat. And they're all Democrat mayors. All right. Every single one of these things. One is considered a nonpartisan thing. So, wow. And Larry Krasner is fighting crime. I don't think he's capable of that. He's not even capable of telling the truth. We'll be right back. Sound of Freedom. Have you heard about this film? I saw it yesterday in a movie theater. It was awesome. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Apparently, a lot of folks in Hollywood did not want to see this movie made. And once it got made, they didn't want to see it distributed. Uh, it's about, well, the horrible fact of sex trafficking of children. It exists. It's real. It's a real problem, a global problem. I learned from this movie there are more people in slavery today across the globe than there were when slavery was actually legal. Um, take a look. It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. It has already passed the illegal arms trade and soon it's gonna pass the drug trade. Because you can sell a bag of cocaine one time with a child five to 10 times a day. God's children are not for sale. How many pedophiles you got? 288. How many kids you found? Wow. Uh, I'm telling you, it's really... It, first movie I've seen in about a year... Second movie I've seen in about three years. I enjoyed it very much. It's very tough to watch at times. Uh, Jim Caviezel is the actor. Have you heard about him? He played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, and he is a man of faith. And wow, very, very powerful guy. Take a look. I heard this in my heart when I was filming it. I mean, these are the deepest, the deepest prayers I ever have done. Um, have always made me the greatest of the man that I couldn't be without Jesus. And he said, um, can you love my children more than you fear evil? Can you love, just as can you love Jesus more than you fear the cross? <laughs> and there is a go-to time and a power that is extraordinary where, um, where I'm not afraid of anything. Well, we see, we know where he gets his power. There's more. In this time period where we're seeing films that are just, it, I mean, it has to be intentional where Christianity is completely sidelined mm. and we continue to take it. Well, not anymore, I don't think, right? Wow, intentional is right, not only in film, but in real life, in schools. Drag queens showing up to hang around with the kids, right? And uh, this is, uh, I think, some of the stuff he's, uh, he's getting at. Uh, one more from Jim Caviezel. Yes, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. This is in the Gospels. You read it. You, you've got, you know, John the Baptist 
Well, I don't want to be him. Well, why not? I mean, <laughs> what about St. Paul? I don't want to read him. He got his head chopped off too. You know, we're all playing a, a character in scripture right now. It's wow. not just a history book. It wow. is actually something when you read it, you feel it burning in your hearts. That fire comes on. Well, amen. Uh, and look at our border, oh, by the way, wide open. What's going on there? How much trafficking is happening? How many of these kids are being brought against their will or not with their parents? This is a very important film, and it's available to see right now in the movie theaters. I highly, highly encourage you to check it out. And uh, ultimately, it is a message of hope. I don't want to give anything away, but Sound of Freedom in theaters, please do yourself a favor. And I'll be right back. I switched. I switched. I switched. I switched to Newsmax. 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 Have you made the switch? You bet I did. My whole family switched. Millions are switching to Newsmax. You should too. Hi, it's Tony Marino, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast, your daily news bulletin of Newsmax's top headlines, along with commentary from our hosts and experts. You can learn more about all of the free podcasts, including Newsmax Daily, Rob Carson, and Jerry Callahan at Newsmax.com slash listen. This decision, let us be clear and not be deceived, it's, it's an attack on black people. What you're doing is you are limiting people's access to the American dream. This just shows the challenge facing our society. The legacy of centuries of racial discrimination is real. It is still with us. Wow, they have their minds made up. Uh, they're all wrong, quite frankly, in my opinion, and in the court's opinion. You know who the major beneficiary of this decision was or is? Asian Americans. I mean, they were being penalized for being so great, all right? Uh, you can look it up. Uh, they study harder, they study longer, and get better grades, and they were being penalized for it. And they're being penalized uh, to this day in other ways. Yatlin Chu, I'm sorry, Yatan Chu joins us. She's the president of the Asian Wave Alliance. And she put out a very nice tweet uh, when this decision came down. Let's go ahead and put it up. I told my daughter that today is a big day. They've ended affirmative action. Isn't it what you're, isn't it what you've been fighting for? She asked. I said, yes. Okay, that's wonderful. Now, Jameel Hill, that nasty woman who used to, uh, where did she work? ESPN for a while, and then they gave her the boot. Can't wait until she reads that you gladly carried the water for white supremacy and stabbed the folks in the back whose people fought diligently for Asian American rights in America. Uh, well, Ms. Chu, that's you she's talking about? I didn't know you carried the water for white supremacy. Uh, I know you didn't. Anyway, that was one heck of an exchange. How are you? And welcome and congratulations on the ruling. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me back, Fred. So um, how do you feel about that, carrying the water for white supremacy? Um, I don't carry water for anyone. Um, I'm not a pawn. And uh, it's condescending, as it was meant to be, uh, to Asian Americans. We were fighting for our civil rights. Uh, we're not fighting it on behalf of, of anyone else except... You can say everyone and certainly Asian Americans. You know, and I saw this and I didn't realize it, but then I saw the numbers. It looked like to me that top performing Asian American students 
had a lower chance of getting into Harvard, UNC, and other competitive schools than low-performing African-American students. The low-performing African-American student had a better chance at getting in than a, a high-performing Asian student. Did I read those numbers correctly? Uh, yes, you did. Uh, our, well, Asian students certainly had to work very hard to even apply to a school, top school like Harvard. Um, but it's unfair. It's discrimination. And um, I'm really glad that the Supreme Court ruled to end affirmative action. Um, this is not fair. And all Asian Americans wanted is to be treated equal, not to gain any favors, but really just to be judged on the merits of the applicant's accomplishments and no more than that. And this is the ire that I've received and, you know, lots of racist, xenophobic replies on, on, on my tweet, uh, which I, you know, was very happy to share the, the short conversation I had with my 12 year old. Well, look, the, the, the Internet is a horrible place, okay? It can be a good place, but it's really a horrible place. And that's where people go for arguments, and they argue, and they yell, and they scream, and it happens. But what about in real life? Are you sensing any – are you getting any shade out there? Is there increased tension? You know, they try to tell us that, um, you know, Asian Americans were under fire because of Trump. I always thought that was fake news. But in the wake of this decision, what are you feeling? out there in the real world? I think out there in the real world is, you know, frankly, majority of Americans support this decision. And, um, you know, a recent poll came out saying that over 70% of Americans don't believe that race should be used in college admissions. So um, I'm grounded by that fact. And I'm grounded by people around me who believe that education should be based on merit and college admissions should be based on merit. And that the really minority voices that are on social media are a minority and ones that are taking advantage of this ruling to just kind of make a name for themselves. Hey, can I put Jamil Hill's tweet up one more time? I, I'm not exactly sure who she's talking about. She accused you of stabbing the folks in the back whose people fought diligently for Asian-American rights in America. Um, who's she talking about? Who fought diligently for Asian-American rights in America? You know, I, as far as I'm concerned, everyone, um, our, our, you know, our founding fathers and everyone that has come to the United States and have fought for uh, a fair um uh, you know, free United States is is what's been happening. And Asian Americans uh, fought for our rights, which contributed to the rights of all Americans. Uh, civil rights is not owned by any particular group. Mm. And just as immigrants continue to come to the United States for these freedoms, for these, um, you know, for our belief that everyone has equal opportunity, uh, people that are here will continue to fight for that. And I think the win... Uh, from this ruling is a step in the right direction. Yeah, Tan, how uh, old is your daughter? I have a 25-year-old and I have a 12-year-old. The 12-year-old. Let's talk about her for a moment. Um, how much homework does she do a night? Well, not so much right now because it's <laughs> it's certainly summer, but um, not enough, actually. Uh, I wish she was getting more homework in school. Um, I do um, advise her to do a little more on her own, but I think it's important that... Um, kids spend time learning. 
um, putting in the effort and um, taking pride in, in getting good grades. Uh, those are important. It's important for me. It's important for her future. And it's important for this country. Um, so I, I, I hope that this ruling will inspire children from all walks of life to take a hard look at, you know, what they must put forward to, you know, get a seat at one of the top colleges in the country. Awesome. Yeah, Tan Chu sounds fantastic. And by the way, what does a 25-year-old do real quick? She works at a bank. Mm, she loves her job. So that's, um, you know, she's making a living. I, I'm happy. All right. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And uh, stay in touch. And we'll be right back. So have you ever gotten the sneaking suspicion, just a vague sense that big tech might be censoring conservatives? Uh, you could actually see it from outer space. We all know it was happening, especially during COVID, especially during the presidential election and the last election. And now a federal judge has ruled essentially that the Biden administration has to shut up and they can't pressure big tech into all kinds of crazy decisions that affect uh, that affect conservatives. That's Judge uh, Dowdy. And it was his ruling. Missouri and Louisiana suing um, suing big tech and the Biden administration. Some some key findings here. Let's go through the AG's release today. Uh, in the order, the court recognized the state's evidence of unconscionable federal censorship activities. The judge specifically found virtually all of the free speech suppressed was conservative free speech. At times, at least 22 times, the White House engaged in unrelenting pressure against tech companies. White House defendants engaged in coercion to induce social media companies to suppress free speech. I'd like to bring in Andrew Bailey. He is the Attorney General of Missouri. Sir, congratulations. You and your staff and the folks in Louisiana. I know this is huge. And uh, well, anyway, thank you and welcome to Newsmax. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. So let's first off, give us a little history. Well, am I wrong? This ruling seems to me to be smoking hot and very, very important. Oh, absolutely. We've uncovered the worst First Amendment violations in this nation's history. And the court said almost as much in its 55, excuse me, 155 page ruling. It was handed down on the 4th of July of all days. I mean, come on, let freedom ring. What a great way to celebrate the birthday of this nation and to restore the First Amendment, the legacy of free speech that we were handed down by our founding fathers and protected by previous generations. Then uh, in this court's ruling, we've uncovered a vast censorship enterprise of coercion and collusion from the White House across a spectrum of bureaucratic federal agencies with their woke cronies and big tech social media corporations. And you're right. I mean, surprise, surprise. It's only conservative voices that they're talking, that they're, they're, they're targeting. And so this is an important first step. The first brick was laid in erecting a wall of separation between tech and state. That's absolutely necessary to protect our First Amendment rights and specifically to protect conservative voices from suppression at the behest of the federal government. I want to go back to full screen three, if we can put that up on the screen. The White House defendants, you were suing them, made it very clear to social media companies what they wanted suppressed and what they wanted amplified. Also from the AG's release today, the FBI had falsely suggested to social media companies that the Hunter Biden laptop story was fake. That is actually, uh, to me, the most dangerous thing. I mean, the FBI, they actually they actually embedded themselves with big tech, didn't they? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, the evidence that we've uncovered, 20,000 pages of documents, deposition of key evidence and witnesses, 
specifically an FBI official in San Francisco in the very heart of the big tech social media community who testified that the Department of Justice and FBI met with big tech social media in the weeks and months leading up to the 2020 election with increased frequency. And they planted the seed that there would be a Russian disinformation campaign targeting Hunter Biden. And they even ran tabletop uh, drills to train social media to be prepared to react when a story related to Hunter Biden broke and how to suppress it on big tech social media. And we know there were communications on the very night before the New York Post broke the Hunter Biden laptop story. But this is all you know, done at the behest of the Department of Justice that was in possession mm. of the Hunter Biden laptop and knew of its authenticity. At some point, this becomes election interference. And so it was started with the deep state once President Biden took over. The seed was germinated and fertilized to such a degree that it grew rapidly. It moved into COVID where uh, Biden and his White House were specifically targeting anybody who, who uh, you know, evidenced any kind of skepticism yeah. about mask mandates or vaccines and specific conservative voices. And so we know it's a violation of the First Amendment. The judge has told us we're likely to succeed on the merits, and it's time to push this thing forward and unravel this vast censorship enterprise so we can restore the legacy of freedom promised to us under the First Amendment. The FBI agent you were referring to, I think that's Elvis Chan, uh, and he was very vocal, <laughs> really almost bragging about what they were doing at one point. Uh, here he is way before he ever got the subpoena from you guys. Take a look. With certain uh, social media companies and uh, platforms, we are providing them with classified briefings on the specific threat actors that may be on their platforms. We're also sharing uh, indicators of compromise, TTPs, you know, tools, tactics, and, and processes that mm -hmm. can help them safeguard their platforms. All right. And there was so much that he said that was incriminating and weird beyond that. But even there, they're giving Trump a hard time about the classified stuff. There they are briefing all kinds of people who don't work for the government, who work for Twitter, getting classified briefings. It's all very strange. Very quickly, why Louisiana and why your state, Missouri? Why are you guys? Why? I mean, I'm glad that you did. But why did it have to fall to two states to pick this up? Well, it was important that this lawsuit get filed, and it was important to partner with like-minded state attorneys general, and certainly Jeff Landry is that. And we're proud to have partnered with Louisiana. There are also private plaintiffs involved here. There are academics and professionals who were all silenced as well. So there's a group of like-minded individuals who all suffered at the hands of the Biden administration, whose uh, First Amendment rights to free speech were, were violated. But I would also point out, it's not just the speakers, it's the listeners, yeah. the people who didn't receive truthful information because their voices were silenced and suppressed at the behest of Biden's White House and Department of Justice. I mean, the, the, at this point, anybody who was censored on social media is a potential victim of this egregious offense. And that's why the, the wall of separation between tech and state is so important. Proud sure. to have laid that first brick with my partner in Louisiana just yesterday. Some of this stuff was coming directly from the president, President Biden himself. The way he spoke, this is, this is the way no president should ever speak. But take a look. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, they really, they are, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that's, and, they're, and they're killing people. Facebook is killing people. From the president of the United States, that's extraordinary pressure. Facebook um, freaked out, bent over. OK, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? You want us to take down stuff that's critical of Joe Biden? We will. Uh, you want us to take down any honest discussion or anything that disagrees with Fauci? We will. They did all that stuff. What happens next, if you can, in just 20 seconds? What? Because this is not the end of this thing. So what are the next steps? 
Well, we're going to continue to push forward with discovery. We've got more depositions we need to take, more evidence we need to uncover. We're going to leave no stone unturned as we begin to, uh, you know, root out this vast censorship enterprise and put a, put a stop to it. We have to keep building the wall of separation between tech and state. This was never about truth. It was always about power. And we have to hold those in power accountable for violating our right to free speech. All right. Excellent. Uh Congratulations to you, your predecessor, your staff, and uh, your colleagues across the country. Thank you very much, Andrew Bailey, the Republican Attorney General of Missouri. I do say Missouri. I know you guys say Missouri. Well, what is it exactly? I'm good with Missouri. Okay. When you're not from Missouri, I think you got to say Missouri. Uh, good luck. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Thank you. So, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Um, you ever try it? Sure you have. I have. However, well, what are we going to do? Boycott again? Uh, maybe. So, Ben and Jerry are actually real people. Ben and Jerry. I actually went to that factory back in the 90s. It was very cool. And so were these guys. You know why? All they wanted to do was sell ice cream. Now that they made a billion dollars or so, they want to save the world. And they have so much woke garbage on their website. It is ludicrous. Here's one clue to how crazy they've gone. Stephen Colbert, the guy who used to be funny, who's now uh, a late night liberal Trump hating uh, uh, talk show host. They actually have a flavor for him. I thought it was like a two week thing. No, it's a permanent flavor. You can still get it. Look at their website. Some of the stuff that they're supporting here. The U.S. was founded on stolen indigenous land this July 4th. Let's commit to returning it. Yeah, this is what ice cream is about. This is not what an ice cream parlor should be doing. Uh, ben and Jerry strives to be a social justice company that makes ice cream. Shut up and just make the ice cream, please. Uh, we are committed to year over year increases in the number of and total procurement spending with black owned and black led suppliers. By the way, I wonder if that's actually true. We use ice cream to change the world. Get over yourselves. It's just ice cream. Uh, is there anything else here? Climate change. <laughs> we know our footprint are working throughout our operations to reduce it, and we will report on progress annually. This is such virtue signaling. And they want to get rid of, is this true, Mount Rushmore? Mount Rushmore. They want to give it back to the Indians. I didn't even know the Indians. Well, it's just... This is the kind of stuff you do when you want to destroy a country, this kind of rhetoric. So uh, it's easy for me to avoid Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I'll go to Haagen-Dazs, right? Haagen-Dazs, everybody. It's higher end. It's tastier, actually. But guess what? I looked at their website today. They got a whole woke section as well. They're going to address uh, this injustice and that injustice. They just can't sell ice cream anymore, right? That's so uncool. It makes me think of the Dylan Mulvaney thing with the beer. I also don't drink beer, so it was easy for me to skip that. Um, but there is a limit. I can't... <laughs> I can't skip Apple computers, okay? I got one right here. Um, and Tim Cook is one of those woke guys, too. I want to address the topic of racism, inequality, and injustice, and to recognize the pain being felt throughout our nation, especially in our black and brown communities. You have to understand they're doing this in part because they just want to keep the mob at bay. They don't want any problems from Al Sharpton, so they write a check, leave us alone. I like their product. I can't give it up. The thing is, all corporate America, all of corporate America is doing this stuff. If you don't want to be on an Apple computer, then you go get a, a, a PC, a, something, you know, a, that runs Microsoft. 
Really? What about those guys? And welcome to Microsoft Ignite. We've got a big day ahead and lots in store for you. First, we want to acknowledge that the land where the Microsoft campus is situated was traditionally occupied by the Sammamish, the Duwamish, the Snoqualmie, the Suquamish, the Muckleshoot, the Snohomish, the Tulalip, and other Coast Salish peoples since time immemorial a people that are still here, continuing to honor and bring to light their ancient heritage. She said time in memoriam. No, it was just uh, 2016 when Trump won the election. That's when this stuff went uh, totally crazy overdrive. Uh, what are we going to do? You, we need a computer. I do think a lot of this stuff, and this is good, is lip service. They don't really mean any of it. Um, in the meantime, I'm not going to boycott Ben and Jerry's. I'm just not going to eat ice cream. All right. If you really look at that stuff, it can't save the world. It can give you heart disease and it can make you fat. Nothing personal, Ben and Jerry. I don't like your stance, but I think you're doing it for optics and whatever. But when you think about it, who really needs ice cream? I'll be right back. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. I'm serious about this movie. It's awesome. Sound of Freedom. I saw it yesterday. You can see it in movie theaters. Really important film. Please see it, support it, tell your friends. It's just a great movie, in addition to being a really important uh, cause and awareness campaign. All right, also, I like this book, Digital Minimalism. How to put down the phone and all this technology that's taking over our lives. Still going through that. And, and, I'm going to show you my daughter again. Uh, the highlight of the weekend for her was playing in that little puddle. It's amazing what will, uh, <laughs> what will float your boat when you're one. <laughs> She's just one, not yet two. Madeline is her name, and I'm coming home, baby. Good night, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow.